Здравствуйте, добрый вечер. Здравствуйте, как поживаешь? Меня зовут Диджей Алонзо Гарбанзо. Как вас зовут? До свидания. I should, I guess you said goodbye in Russian. <laughs> Say hello, welcome to the cutaway, and goodbye. That's the end of the podcast. Yeah, it's the short, world's shortest podcast. Yeah. Uh, I have no idea what the hell Austin just said, but What's you're, your here, with, you're here with Project Pat. Priyadna Pazokomitsia. It's nice to meet you. Project Pat. We're from the hood, Tennessee, Tennessee. Welcome to the last episode of The Cutaway ever. Yeah, Until 2018. It's been an absolutely wild year. And we hope to give you the lay of the land as we see it right now before we get back to fighting the good fight after the Fight holidays. that good fight. And uh, what we mean by that is our, we both Paying have bills. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Figuring out how to pay these bills. Yeah. Uh, on today's pod, we'll be going balls deep into Trump's <laughs> first national security strategy. The latest Bitcoin heist, heist, an examination of the WannaCry attack that'll probably make me wanna cry, and the ACLU fucking the living shit out of Homeland Security into the next decade. How Austin, I just want to compliment you on the WannaCry making you wanna cry. The, Austin, for those of you who don't know, is an Ivy League educated English major. <laughs> and also on today's pod, um, I'm going to be taking everyone through the end of the year legislative calendar, what we can see into 2018. Um, as of late, uh, we've seen this uh, disappointing tax scam bill uh, pass through Congress um, and was actually signed into law today. Um, on top of that, we've seen Mueller uh, circle ever closer by collecting thousands of emails from the Trump transition team. Um, I've done some more digging into um, Trump's federal judge nominees, um, and then also we'll have a little bit of news that's a little off the beaten path uh, for this podcast, um, in that universities around the country have been cracking down on uh, fraternities for alcohol-related accidents and deaths. Is the Trump transition team what I think it is? Oh, God. Don't uh, Google Trump it, transition team. Or at least not pump transition yeah. team. <laughs> yeah, uh, oh shit, there's a typo in the outline. Right. <laughs> Uh, and in the spirit of keeping things light, at the end of the year, we've decided to invite some of our good friends. And by good friends, I mean the ones in the back of our head <laughs> from the local community. How many people us. can we fit in the studio? <laughs> yeah. uh, so all that and more on today's episode of The Cutaway. Stick around. show up and thank thank god we uh, shoved him into one of our closets but also we were uh, bombarded with uh yeah, we were one of our old friends yeah one of our friends stopped by he's uh he's been a long time cutaway supporter this guy he loves our shit um and and he, we're not talking about the podcast <laughs> yeah yeah he i mean he also loves the podcast don't get me wrong he also loves the podcast but uh actually russell helps us fulfill our uh bipartisanship uh, quota bipartisanship. bipartisanship quota yeah uh yeah so not only are we um tied to chairs and guns to our heads but uh russell is staring at us with just uh deathly i fucking told you 
to fucking cool your fucking grits. You, uh, well, hello, is that, everybody. Is that your favorite thing to eat in the morning, Russell? Grits? I love me some cheesy motherfucking grits while I'm watching my replay of Sean Insanity. <laughs> Were you uh, raised on grits? I was raised on grits and tits until I realized <laughs> that I don't like tits. Was this in Sunday school? This wasn't Sunday school. I'll tell you what. Nobody gets in between me and my God or my guns. <laughs> now, I, now you know that I love this podcast, but you two are a couple of Marxists. Why are we A couple Mar- of pinko Why are we, we Marxists? I'll tell you what. President Trump is right. We need to kick the immigrants out. Babies need to have guns. And we need to be saying Merry Christmas all year long. Russell, why does it uh, say in front of your house, Vacation Bible School? Well, now... Do people take vacations at your house? Well, you know I'm a big fan of Airbnb, and I ain't gonna have nobody staying in my house unless they realize that it's Bibles only in my house. (laughs) I actually have the largest collection of antique Bibles in the South. Uh, Everything is signed by Millie, Billy Mays and Billy Graham. <laughs> Billy, uh, Billy Gaze. Yeah, Russell is a is a very impressive guy, uh, and we're super stoked that he was able to come on. Well, he's still here. Yeah. Well, Russell still here, and uh, I'm still here, and I'm still <laughs> a right wing gun fanatic. <laughs> All right, everybody, uh, stick around, and we're gonna get back to it. Center last week, much buzz was generated surrounding the Alabama Senate race, and I mean the race around Roy Moore's house when he got when he got home from the police. Uh, the cutaway team was proud to bring you all breaking coverage of the race, as you could have listened, many didn't. It also fortunately brought us on a new sponsor. Woo! Have you ever wanted to abandon modern automotive travel in Liu? of riding a draft horse, namesake, sassy, sissy, prissy, any of those, will look no further. The Montgomery County Equestrian Center is your one-stop shop. One-stop shop. (laughs) For all of your creepily named horse riding needs. (laughs) The next time you need a horse to ride to all polling stations, and uh, that's not what you think it is. Uh, to distract a national audience, and by national audience, I mean your, your family at Christmas dinner, uh, from, your, from your credible allegations of child molestation. Don't molest no children now, y'all. <laughs> Call 1-800-SISSY-MORE. SISSY-MORE. <laughs> God, I'm brilliant. I also have an English degree, but it's not from an Ivy League school, and I think that's... Well, no, you misread it. It's a fantasy league school. Yeah, a fantasy league school. So this being our uh, last episode of 2017, we're going to touch on a few things. A mashup, a mix-up, a reach-around. If uh, you will. (laughs) (laughs) Ask for permission before you reach around. That's right. Don't turn around, though. Yeah. Don't you fucking look me in the eyes. (laughs) Uh, So we're going to hint on uh, the release of Trump's first national security strategy. So this is important for... uh, one way, but it's important also to note that these documents don't really provide a whole lot of insight. And it's basically just a uh, capsulation of what is said or what is intimated pre- uh, previous to whatever strategy is released. But um, when national security and foreign policy speeches are made, uh, they're quite vague, and as is this strategy. 
Uh, and this is no different when Trump speaks in public or in the White House bedroom or <laughs> or in his uh, in his gold plated apartment. Yeah, in his gold plated right. skull. I mean, it all has to do with like he, uh, talk like talking points that he would give to his base, right, basically. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah, or any military officer. Or yeah, this is right. what you should expect, basically. Um, and, you know, we aren't really given a, a general sense of direction when Trump speaks, and this is really no different. Uh, and it almost takes the form of a campaign speech when you read it. Um, you know, the continual blaming of uh, Obama's policies, how's he, he going to take care of everything, uh, how he's going to change or reverse anything or everything. Um, but there are a few things different. Um, first, the... national security um, strategy are first and foremost a reflection of foreign policy but uh, this in a way is more direct or more unrestrained and sticks to what Trump has said uh, a year and a half ago two years ago so first Russia and China are called out immediately uh, as challengers to power influence security etc in the past, Iran had not only um, been more of a partner, but now they've been completely eliminated as a negotiating uh, ally or partner. It's a very um, hostile, yeah, yeah, hostile stance to take against three major uh, powers in the world. Right, but it's uh, it's also in the in light of uh, the news from Politico this past week of the Obama administration. Right, that's like an earth shattering, earth earth shattering. Uh, article right there and if no one has read it it's certainly worth looking into and i've seen on twitter um you know former senior aides to president obama um scrambling to defend this uh this stance and and they were saying that it fed into this component of trying to like really strengthen the iran deal and it's like it was an attempt to denuclearize iran and stabilize them and have them as you know at least some sort of like a neutral uh, force in relation to the United States as opposed to like a hostile one. Yeah. And I understand that the Iran deal gives us leverage in how we handle the nuclear situation with them. But the fact that we just like, uh, we're not keeping tabs on Hezbollah to do that seems like a, and that, and also it feeds, fuels the narrative of, you know, Barack Obama's very weak foreign policy. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean the, for years the U S had followed Hezbollah around because they were known for, uh, either collaborating with Mexican cartels, uh, sending used cars from Africa with drugs and other you know, cash in inside the cars, or uh, giving weapons to the FARC in Colombia. All of these like radically, anything basically that you would expect Hezbollah to do. Now Hezbollah has a sort of a new identity and a new meaning because of the wars in Yemen and the wars in Syria, um, and how basically the Revolutionary Guard will take on the shape of a Hezbollah that, that's currently in Lebanon. But yeah, Iran is a, a quote dictatorship that brutalizes its own people in this uh, most recent most recent national security strategy. Uh, as for allies, it was known in the past that uh, Trump had openly criticized, especially Germany, for not uh, designating two percent of uh, their, their GDP. Or yeah, yeah, yeah uh, towards. Uh, defense spending, um, and this feeds into the same Russian propaganda uh, that we've heard since Trump being elected that the U.S. is fading. Uh, commitments to their allies uh, and 
you know, burden sharing on any ally that we have at the moment is not going to be a good idea. Uh, it's going to leave us holding the bucket all by ourselves, yeah, basically, yeah. which is not a good place to be in considering how antagonistic we're being towards Russia and China. Right. <laughs> it's like a fucking very foolish idea. Yeah, and, um, well, especially with China being our only way into the North Korean scenario. But, yeah, uh, there is continuity throughout the 60 pages of the strategy. There's an embrace of privacy. Uh, military force is first and foremost and really the, the central thing of almost every page. Um, I want to know how he got his national security team to go along with that. Because, <laughs> yeah, no, like, yeah. these are some of the most brilliant, like, whether uh, anyone wants to admit it or not, these are some of the most brilliant, probably conservative minds in national security. And I'm sure Donald Trump sat these people down and was like, we want to abuse nukes. Like, no negotiating, strictly nukes. <laughs> and these guys are like, what the fuck? What did, what did the country do electing this moron? They're like, okay, so yeah, sir, we'll have military options first. And then any kind of diplomacy or trade negotiations be secondary yeah. to military force. But I think with Madison McMaster, they've already been given what they wanted. They have, you know, thousands of troops in Afghanistan yeah. and uh, more in Syria. So, I mean, they're just like, okay, yeah, write whatever you want. It's basically, <laughs> right, right basically, basically, want, basically yeah. a speech. Um, and so, yeah, uh, as we were mentioning earlier, trade is, uh, is always an underappreciated foreign policy tool, but um, Trump has a starkly different perspective of what trade is compared to previous administrations. Uh, Trump simply thinks that you're winning or losing a trade uh, when in, in previous administrations it, it, it was a fundamental way to connect the U.S., uh, diplomatically with other nations instead of there being a winner or loser. Um, and, you know, he's always concerned about someone getting the better of him or the better of the country. Right. And that that's also like a, a large uh, view of how he, well, sorry, this is actually, it feeds into his view of everything is there's no right or wrong. There's no better or worse strategies or any kind of like uh you know, gradation to how he views things. It's either purely winning or losing, and it doesn't matter what the means to the ends is, as long as it's winning. Yeah, he's. Com- I mean, it, this is no foreign policy. This right. is. A- it's. I mean, it's it's strong arming uh, <laughs> foreign policy. Essentially, it's, yeah. it's like a. I would say, like, use of hard power is better than being antagonistic. Right. Yeah. And that's been our uh, like our. Uh, foreign policy stance until Obama. So <laughs> what the fuck is happening now? Well, uh, yeah, Obama utilized the hard power, but didn't didn't openly, uh, he didn't make it very accessible for us to understand. Yeah. This is straightforward and basically uh, Trump's Faulkner-esque uh, <laughs> stream, 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 of, stream of conscious. <laughs> uh, yeah, we just compared President Trump to Faulkner. That's, that's the cutaway stance there. <laughs> Uh, right, so an alcoholic. Um, in the past, you know, you had uh, there really no no stress of immigration whatsoever. Um, this is sort of the juggernaut of this national security strategy in that um, there's detailed parts of the strategy that hint on physical harm of immigrants uh, done by immigrants to Americans through like murder or terrorism. Uh, that immigrants are a threat to American way of life, um, and this in itself is a national security threat. In Which the is past. Like ridiculous. Yeah, it's like ethno-nationalism. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, calling for ethno-nationalism <laughs> in our national security <laughs> statement. <laughs> Fucking unreal. Uh, yeah. So, 
Thanks, Stephen Miller. Right. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for writing yeah, that. Yeah, so Stephen Miller is Stephen Miller Band. <laughs> yeah. uh, so Stephen Miller is Wagner. <laughs> no, it's Wagner. Wagner. That would actually be accurate. He would have been a big proponent of an ethnostate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, we're seeing like a, a new constitution of what a national security threat is instead of a, a basic homeland security threat. Uh, and in the past, you know, smoking guns of uh, in whatever national security strategy that were released were preventing new actors from terrorism. You saw that uh, during the Bush administration, saw that during the Obama administration. Uh, with Trump, there's really nothing different uh, in this sense except the immigration issue. Right, which... or uh, falsified immigration issue. Yeah. And this and that ties right back into what you said in the beginning of this segment where everything Trump does, any kind of statement uh, written or if he's giving a speech or whatever, it all has to do with like some of the fundamental things that he uses to pander to his base. Yeah. And one of those is like an immigration stance that almost always hinges on some sort of like racial dog whistle. Mm-hmm. And I think that's found its way into um, the national security stance uh, purely because of who his senior advisors are. Yeah. But it's Stephen it, Miller. <laughs> right, yeah, Stephen Miller. Uh, so yeah, it's in a way it's sort of consolidated or unified uh, the various wings of his foreign policy, Kushner being the Saudi Arabian uh, is, Israel. Yeah, Jared Kushner is Saudi Arabian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then, you know, you have Trump being the maniac who makes comments about China and North Korea and, uh, and then you have Various wings within his uh, inner circle that kind of represent different efforts, foreign uh, diplomatic efforts. This puts everything in the same uh, arena and kind of eliminates that idea that there are uh, competing narratives within the White House as far as uh, diplomacy is concerned. So we move on to a state sponsor. Bitcoin. Yeah, another, Fuck bit, yeah. another Bitcoin attack. I'm about to lose all my money investing in Bitcoin. Yeah, Max is a. Uh... I've been having a. I've been going through like a manic episode today. For okay, I got off work at like uh, two o'clock, and Austin and I sat down to do this about it's now twenty two, minutes ago. Two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> so it's you know we started a little after six o'clock. I spent at least three and a half to four hours, like the entire time that I was home sitting staring at the fucking computer screen trying to get my hands on as much cryptocurrency and as diverse of a quote-unquote portfolio as i possibly could with what little means i have to do you know he was like literally was in a reaching, manic state yeah. yeah he was literally reaching through his computer screen yeah, trying was, to find the bitcoin i, I, I was <laughs> punching my ipad <laughs> where's the fucking coins <laughs> uh <laughs> So yeah, uh, in light of Max's recent investment... Where are my fucking uh, coins at? Yeah, go find them. Where are they? I'm a miner. I got, <laughs> I got black lung. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, throw up an ad on Craigslist of um, a miner in need. Yeah. Man-seeking miner. <laughs> Better make sure there's not a typo when I post that. <laughs> is this making it into the to the actual... Is yeah. this making it into the pod? Yeah, Dan Ascoin. There was a state-sponsored South Korean cybersecurity team looking into a North Korean involvement in a heist uh, in a Bitcoin exchange um, involving the Seoul-based exchange called Ubit um, that recently collapsed in Seoul. Uh, this sort of represents one of the many new ways for North Korea to make money when sanctions have... Uh, cut off traditional revenue sources, such as China trading with them to such an extent. Uh, and 
this is by no means official, but we can assume that North Korea uh, was involved, even though you know the review of the uh, malware code could take several weeks, just like it did with any other attack. Um, so this kind of brings us into uh, another North Korean attack uh, that happened in May uh, called the WannaCry attack. Um, so for those of you who aren't familiar, the WannaCry attack um, penetrated <laughs> thousands of hospitals. It breached thousands it of hospitals. Yeah, <laughs> debriefed yeah. thousands of uh, hospitals, schools, businesses in the UK. Now, um, this is a tricky and kind of a complex issue with WannaCry because it not only involves North Korea, but it involves the NSA and it involves Russia. So Three the, of the shadiest entities in the world, save for yeah. the CIA. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, so the NSA had known about the attack for some time and had not only uh, let Microsoft know about it in June, but um, the timing of this whole story is kind of fishy and strange. Kind of like uh, my breath right now. <laughs> uh, you know that song, Witchy Woman? It was actually supposed woman. to be, ooh, ooh, fishy woman. I think that's... Uh, witchy woman! That's She's got the moon in her eyes. It was really, fishy woman, you've got the moon in your gills. Thank you, I'll be here all week. Don't forget to tip your waitress. <laughs> Damn it, I made her teeth melt! <laughs> uh, Alright, um... So what exactly is the WannaCry attack? Um, it's a form of a ransomware that exploited a vulnerability uh, in message block protocol. A message block protocol is basically an interface that allows file and info sharing amongst computers and printers and the network. So like, you know, basically anything wireless within uh, general vicinity of your computer. Um, uh, this worm, like Dennis Rodman's worm, <laughs> Defensive yeah. player of the year. And anything Rodman. that has to do with North Korea, assume that Dennis Rodman is involved. <laughs> Dennis Rodman's in my damn computer. <laughs> Maybe Dennis Rodman's mining me some bitcoins. He's a man seeking ass coin. <laughs> uh, so yeah, this worm was able to sneak through a gap, <laughs> not the clothing store, uh, when it installed. Uh, it would encrypt all the data on your computer and uh, your on your hard drive. And then it would try to copy uh, itself onto other people's computers that were on the same network, and then uh, demand a payment of three hundred or six hundred dollars in Bitcoin, which is what currently Max is doing. Yeah, <laughs> this is basically the WannaCry attack on Max's computer. <laughs> yeah, North Korea is stealing the like eight hundred dollars that I have to my name right now. Uh, no, you'll you'll make a lot of money. Do you think you'll, how much money do you think you'll make? I don't know. I'm hoping to make upwards of seventy five million. Hmm. That's what this guy. That's what this online analyst said. Who Mahmoud bin? Uh, yeah. Bin Abdullah suck my Peter Pan. <laughs> <laughs> Username uh, <laughs> Peter Gil Pan. pound sixty nine. Yeah. <laughs> Is this making it into the final episode? What? Yeah, of course. It's a grand finale. Yeah, it's the end of the year. All the shit that we normally edit out, it's making it into this episode. Uncut. Yeah, so if you guys really want to know what kind of sick motherfuckers you're dealing with, get ready. (laughs) (laughs) What was weird about this uh, $300, $600 in Bitcoin that the worm would demand, uh, only (laughs) only $130,000 was paid. Um, and there's no real evidence of anyone getting their files back once they once it had been paid. So it's nor, it's an example of North Korea basically asking for all this money, not getting it, and <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
But yeah, um, what was weird about this attack last May is that it it made uh, healthcare systems, it made people uh, understand that healthcare systems had no fallback and uh, they would be using unpatched software. Right. Uh, for cyber people like me, uh, healthcare information or medical records online are worth way more money than credit card reports or like politicians' emails or just any information related to financial services. It's all about healthcare. Um, so this is kind of the, the gist of this entire episode or saga of the WannaCry no, uh, ransomware. So to end the ransomware though, a, a kill switch was used. And a kill switch is basically a technique that it runs before the worm encrypts your, uh, your files on your computer and it would check to see if like a particular website was up, such as uh, the website for the healthcare any healthcare system that was hacked or any school system that was hacked. Um, and before the website is activated or pulled up, it would hold off from the encrypting and the replicating the virus on your, throughout computers in your network. Uh, that is what the hacker did to stop this attack. However, this same hacker, uh, even though he did the right thing by ending the spread of WannaCry, um, the WannaCry worm, um, he was accused of collaborating with bad actors and was caught for illegal activity. So it's sort of the, even though a cybersecurity expert um, does the right thing, he or she is still involved in shady uh, things because you have to do that in order to be the expert, basically. Um, and, you know, it's common understanding working in cybersecurity that you you need, in order to catch a thief, you would have uh, dubious ties, right? And the, the kind of work you need to be doing um, would... It's exactly like using informants and any other type yeah, of security. Yeah. You would just constantly have to fall outside of the law. And that's what that's sort of the, the beauty of cybersecurity. <laughs> um, so why now? Why is this? Why was this released uh, this past week? This news, um, as we were saying, the timing of the announcement is not because of new evidence that has surfaced. Um, it's a, an attempt by the U.S. to play hardball with North Korea to constantly keep the news cycle hardball going. with Chris Matthews and North Korea. Yeah. <laughs> I hope Chris Matthews is over there. <laughs> Seriously, he might be. Have you ever seen the uh, Daryl Hammond, Chris Matthews, Hardball on SNL? No. It's really good. It's great. It's almost as good as the Ben Affleck, uh, Keith Olbermann. I don't think I've seen that one see both of those. They're fantastic. That, that is the only moment that I've liked Ben Affleck when he was playing Keith Olbermann. I think I hate Ben Affleck literally all the time. Well, like, like I said, this is a, <laughs> a rare glimpse into his genius. What he could have been. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, like we were saying, the timing's odd. Microsoft patched this by getting tipped off by the NSA a very long time ago, around January or February of 2017. Um, but it was sometime after the fact that uh, the actual vulnerability was established or uh, the NSA was uh, knew about it. So um, this made Microsoft not so much motivated to update the software that the NSA had tipped them, uh, update the software so they could patch up the vulnerability because they thought of, uh, you know, it was old news, hackers don't really care, it's not trending. Um, the time span between the discovery and, uh, it, and them being contacted was too, too long of a duration. So the main takeaway here is that the NSA should rethink how it stockpiles vulnerabilities. Uh, it was announced by the Wall Street Journal by a White House cyber advisor that the Eternal Blue vulnerability, which is something that uh, had been used in the WannaCry and the NotPetya, the NotPetya attack is was the attack used by Russia to um, hack into uh, the Ukraine on the eve of their Constitution Day and also in, in, uh, 
German computers uh, to get into their like power plants and metro systems and uh, power infrastructures. Uh, the original Petya was revolutionary in that it kind of signaled to all industries that everyone was vulnerable. Anyone could get hacked. It's not just a tech company or a bank that could get hacked. Um, but obviously, in the same way, this could open up new business opportunities by tech companies being involved in healthcare. But right, yeah. and not just the financial right. sector, so which yeah. is where a lot of these like uh, cybersecurity companies have been moving into, right. as, like uh, the finance sector. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, finance is so abstract and uh, deregulated, and uh, well, that's why they're so vulnerable. Right. It's like there's the getting into it is so potentially profitable that right yeah but it, it opens up the door for other emerging technologies like cloud and rpa and fintech right. yeah. um but nowhere in this wall street journal article did it say that the eternal blue vulnerability got into the wild because the nsa had created it because the nsa did create it and they let it lose um and way to go but <laughs> when i said that whenever you're talking about the nsa you're talking about one of the shadiest uh like organizations on the planet yeah, now they, you see why it's like one of like a billion shitty reasons why <laughs> that's why i want to work for them one day but yeah they can they uh, constructed this uh brilliant form of ransomware and now it's being used against everybody else including themselves yeah <laughs> so congratulations nsa yeah. great fucking work um uh what the yeah i mean the article it didn't say that the u.s uh, the nsa had been um using it, it for the, their own purposes. It basically just created it for uh, counterintelligence or uh, counter threats. Um, so everyone really found out about this because of uh, the Shadow Brokers, which is a, a Russian hacking group that released a stockpile of NSA vulnerabilities, uh, of which was the unpatched Microsoft vulnerability that we mentioned earlier and how this entire uh, WannaCry attack got started. So the NSA told Microsoft about Windows vulnerabilities that the NSA had been using to spy and extract info with. Um, and that's when basically Microsoft was like, yeah, we don't care. It's old news. So then it left the door wide open for, uh, the shadow brokers to release eternal blue, uh, which took the same NSA code that was used for the, uh, original eternal blue and just basically weaponized it and made it this, uh, form of malware that was used in the WannaCry for... Uh, that North Korea used and the NotPetya, which is what Russia used. Right, which again can be boiled down to say that our government created yeah. malware that was used to hack into healthcare servers. Right. The most dangerous right. global cyber threats are something that we created. Um, which, and spoiler alert, that's not the first time that this no, has happened. No. <laughs> uh, so what this tells us is not only that the NSA hides a lot from us, but also hides a lot from the companies that it advises. So it only sends about 90% of uh, its list of vulnerabilities to the developers such as Microsoft. Um, and if you think about it, this 90% isn't very useful. It's probably just stuff to help them, um, I don't know, create better compatibility with different uh, services or networks within different offices or through you know different products. Um, but the high severity 10% uh, that's no longer kept secret it would uh, eventually be dis once they sit on the 10 percent of, of the vulnerabilities the longer they sit on it the more it becomes vulnerable um, which is probably going to be on my tombstone <laughs> uh, and and uh, so basically if you keep the gold in your in your closet it's going to be someone's going to it's it's steal it yeah. someone's going to steal it and it's going to be used elsewhere Elsewhere yeah. in the world. In the world, yeah. 
So yeah, don't um, don't keep your long the long, all of this is to say don't keep your gold in your closet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all for all you baby boomers out there who who watch Fox News all day and you buy those like buy gold ads or whatever, <laughs> quit keeping your motherfucking gold in they're, your closet. Get it out. Yeah, they're sponsored by the NSA. Yeah. You heard it first. Yeah, exactly. The NSA is behind the marketing plan to get you to keep your gold in your closet. Yeah. So they can steal it back from you, and they've got your cash, and they've got your gold. What are you gonna do? That's why you gotta invest in grills. That's, yeah, buy grills. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, basically this. Trade probably... your Bitcoin for grills. Yeah. <laughs> Trade your tit coins. <laughs> uh, so yeah, basically all this makes me want to do is work for the, for the NSA more. Uh, so we're moving on to the ACLU, uh, and which is the for people living in. Um, I don't know. La La Land. Yeah, La La Land. Uh, this is the American Civil Liberties Union. <laughs> and the EFF, which is the Electronic Frontier Foundation, uh, suing Homeland Security for searching 11 individuals' laptops and smartphones without a warrant. So this, uh, and uh, of these 11 people, several, several of them were uh, Muslim or people of color. Which could have been inferred by the fact that the ACLU was, like, all over this shit. Right, yeah. Um, so... Naturally, this uh, violates the Fourth Amend- Amendment rights that these people have, um, and I, this is action is being done now uh, in relation to this issue because uh, Homeland Security, the number of searches by Homeland Security over the past three years um, are uh, are experiencing a devastating increase. So you have uh, eight and a half thousand in 2015, 19,000 in 2016, and nine. 19,000 the same number in the first half uh, of the of 2017's fiscal year so uh, this is unbelievable yeah and it's basically are, are dozens of do- dozens of government agencies hacking into your shit right now <laughs> including yeah including uh, me including <laughs> us, yeah, yeah we're, we're hacking into your computers right now it's just a manifestation of um, Trump sticking by his word, I guess. <laughs> Can't blame him. Yeah, we are going to search your... We are going to violate your constitutional rights. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, there we go. That was our Global News Roundup, everyone. Hope you had as much fun as I did. Yeah. That was phenomenal. <laughs> I had a lot of fun. All right, everybody, stick around after this brief break, and we will be back with another guest. Suck my bong. Now I'm the best fucking maker of cream catches on my block. I know y'all hoes been dreaming of me. Now y'all gonna be creaming over me. I'm also opening up my own smokehouse. Thinking about barbecue, wrong again. I'm an OG crocodile in my new cookhouse. Damn my skin flaky and fish scaly. Flaky and fish, motherfucking scaly. Man, we were excited to have Jerome on the pod. We've had a lot of our buddies saying that he is a beta male... Cuck soy boy, but he fucking proved yo asses wrong yeah. again. Yeah, he, uh, he, <laughs> he blew up my head. <laughs> yeah, baby, he, he done blew my head off. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, everybody. Uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's dig in to what we have going on to uh, to wrap up uh, the end of this uh, legislative calendar and what we can look forward to in 2018. Um, and I'm going to begin my segment um, in talking about something I've been going on and on about really for the last uh, for the last several episodes, and that are our taxes, uh, as it's super important. Um, on Wednesday, December 20th, congressional Republicans passed um, their tax reform, fondly known as the Donor Relief Act. <laughs> oh, man. I, guess, I, guess, about, I didn't have enough time to write Donor Relief Act. I was, was going to say, Austin was about two seconds away from, uh, get, from fixing the... Uh, fixing the, the code. Out, fixing the outline. And uh, if you've been keeping up with our coverage... Um, you already know just how bad this new tax code is. Lots of my early predictions about what would likely make it into the final version of the bill actually made it in. And if you haven't been keeping up with my coverage of the tax reform, first of all, fucking shame on you and your family. And second of all, imagine the following. Your elected leaders, instead of doing the right thing and fighting for you, the constituents, most of whom are just regular middle-class people, uh, cater to a donor class that they deride as elitists in the media just to stay in power. Um, the CBO and numerous independent bipartisan economic policy institutions have indicated that these tax cuts to the uber-rich are going to cost the country anywhere from $1.6 to $2.2 trillion over the next decade. And all of this is going on while Republicans refuse to work with Democrats on the new budget because they say that there's not enough money to fund the, the simple legislative actions that Democrats want in order to pass a budget, which is to legislate the DREAM Act um, and also, or, and or, I think we should get both, um, fully funding CHIP, which I think would cost um, something like uh, $8 billion or something like that, which is literally a drop in the bucket compared to the massive tax cut that they just gave. And genius policy wonks that we have uh, <laughs> running tax reform in this country. We've got globalist Gary Cohn and feckless Paul Ryan. Ridiculous Paul. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Ser anything that makes a man a man, Paul Ryan is lacking these parts. Um, there, do we have any proof per these men that these cuts will pay for themselves? And on Wednesday, Speaker Ryan said, this is on live television on MSNBC, we have no idea what's going to happen because that's the future. So essentially, all of this was to say that middle class taxes will go down by a fraction in 2018. That's even all sorts of uh, nonpartisan um, tax reform policy institutes, um, economists, and the CBO have agreed that your taxes will go down the first year. However, every year after that, they will rise to pay for the tax cuts going to this top 1% because th there's absolutely no way that um, these tax cuts are going to pay for, you know, are, are going to spur the job growth and the growth in GDP that uh, Paul Ryan used to sell these tax cuts to the American people, um, which also this bill is more unpopular now than Obamacare was when they were trying to pass it, just to put that in perspective. And Obamacare seemed like one of the most unpopular pieces of legislation possibly ever passed in modern history in this country. This um, is with Obama consulting uh, various people right. for over the course of a year. Right, and not, and not right. Not only that, but the process to actually enact Obamacare took well over, over a, a year. year. Right. I mean, it was a 
and it was a public process. There, there were no secret meetings. There were no, we're going to jam this through in the dead of night. It was a very overt process. This was quite the opposite of that. Um, also built into this um, new tax code, uh, the individual mandate uh, uh, was repealed under this new uh, tax law, which essentially is what makes the Affordable Care Act work. However, it's also one of the most controversial parts of the Affordable Care Act as it forces every American to either have health insurance or pay a tax. Um, and of course, it's, it's, almost, it's very difficult to defend the individual mandate. And I realize this because no one wants to pay a tax to not have health insurance. However, the whole idea you know, behind an altruistic piece of legislation like the Affordable Care Act um, is that if you don't have people paying into the market, it just turns into a big high risk pool, which sends the market into a death spiral. So from a financial standpoint, you have to have some sort of contingency, which is what this individual mandate was. Um, and essentially repealing this individual mandate, like I just outlined, is going to send uh, healthcare markets into a death spiral because it's going to turn everything into a big high risk pool because the people that rely on the ACA obviously cannot afford to pay for uh, pay high premiums on their own um, in the private market. Um, I reported on this extensively during the healthcare fight, and I don't want to flush it back out again. All of this is to say that this is going to strip healthcare from millions of Americans and send health insurance markets into a death spiral. And it's been an absolutely exhausting fight trying to save the Affordable Care Act and make sure that this tax reform is as toothless as possible. Um, but you know, activism is extremely important in this. Um, and the, there's absolutely no way, um, we can't count on Bob Mueller, we can't count on impeachment, we can't count on anything to, you know, force these people out of office. The only thing that we can do is vote when we have the chance to do so. Um, and some resources that you can use in order to actually get involved in the fight here, because it's like I said last time, uh, I want to give people resources and not just bitch. Um, LetAmericaVote.org uh, um, is run by Jason Kander, who is a phenomenal human being. He's the former Secretary of State of Missouri, um, a combat veteran, and overall just a fantastic human being, um, which helps uh, ensure that people who normally suffer from voter suppression laws are able to vote. Uh, RunForSomething.net, which if you are a person who has always wondered what it would take to get into public office at any level, you know, local, state, uh, or the federal level, and you want to run as a Democrat, runforsomething.net. They will give you everything you need resource-wise, even money, uh, to run uh, in your district, as well as uh, swingleft.org. Um, so uh, just a few things before we move on. Uh, one ask, well, the activism itself uh, would be in the form of this huge spike in 4.1 million people signing up for the ACA in the last six days. Right, which so, is a higher rate than it's yeah, ever yeah. been. And, and that's also in the face of the administration doing everything it possibly can yeah. to stifle awareness that it's open enrollment. So yeah, he Trump not only shortened the period of enrollment, uh, he cut the funding for navigators, which are people basic, which are like foot soldiers basically for the ACA, uh, wanting others to vote for any legislation, against any legislation that would uh, destroy the ACA. He cut that by 40%. 9% of the ad budget was cut. Uh, but still, you have 8.8 .8 million people total signing up for Obamacare in the past year. Uh, 
So yeah, I mean, as Max was saying, eliminating the individual mandate would tilt the enrollment to sick and older enrollees. So when you do that uh, and not have the same younger and healthier people that uh, would have been expected, uh, it sends insurance markets and those insurers. Absolute death spiral. There's there's no way other there's no way to prop up the ACA without the individual mandate and also um, without the payments for that the federal government makes um, to the private healthcare market. So they'll have an entire year basically to monitor how the market responds to this new tax bill. Right, because it's not going to, it doesn't actually get fully repealed until 2019, I think. Right. Um, which is good because if you pulled the rug out from under the ACA right now, it, it would compound <laughs> the shitstorm that's going to happen in yeah. about two or three years. The, the deficit will just start growing exponentially. If Republicans thought that uh, President Obama added to the deficit, just wait until the shit show of uh, tax reform go- is enacted. It's going to be absolutely incredible. Right. So, yeah, I mean, this tax bill it, it has both good and bad elements. The bad is uh, what Max was mentioning, the uh, individual pay cut not being able to pay for itself. Uh, historically, capital gains rates, cuts, and both the corporate tax rates have been able to pay for themselves. Uh, so it's, it's sort of taking what we assume is uh, t- basically taking money away from us by installing the money in different means so we receive different <laughs> different cash flows basically from different areas. Uh, so the, the centerpiece of this bill was the corporate tax rate, taking it down from 35% to 21%. Right. And, yeah. and essentially what this has, that has to do with the fact that Republicans are still banking on the fact that trickle down works. And in fact, I think they realize it doesn't work, but numerous uh, congressional Republicans came out and said, you know, if we don't, our donors have called us on the phone and have said, if we don't deliver on corporate tax rates, um, the money's going to dry up, which is despicable. You well, know, the, the, G, the GDP is so reliant on corporate, the corporate sector in general. Right. Well, it, but, so it's, it's not like a point of activism or doing the right thing. It's basically just a strategy to appropriate trends in the market. Right. It's not like which, a, and it's like a, it's just smoke and mirrors. It absolutely is. Well, right, it's but, not based on reality because if that were, if any, if it were true that. Um, well, allowing corporations to keep more cash. the GDP being based in corporate sector. Well, I mean, yeah, but I mean, the idea being that allowing corporations to keep more cash is going to help boost GDP and job growth and wage uh, increases, it would have happened already because uh, <laughs> well, corporations the, are already sitting on something like, what is it, like $3 trillion in cash. So and if that were the case, they would have been investing in wages and job growth um, already. So what will allow them to do that would be... Uh, this corporate tax is a true cut, because, uh, well, the cut in the corporate tax is a true cut because previously in 1986, we, the tax rate dropped, but we broadened the base, which basically means that those same corporations would pay the money back to the government. This is a true cut in the sense that the corporations are going to save the money and keep the money themselves. Right, well, it's a, perma- so, it's a permanent tax cut, right? which means that they're going to be keeping more money. And, uh, the, but it would have a huge impact on markets, presumably. Right. Well, uh, yeah. And that, even that in and of itself is based on like uh, hoping that human beings appeal to right. the better side of their nature because this, I mean, this happened um, like numerous times, but there was the one video that was circulate, circulating around Twitter for weeks and it was Gary Cohn asking a room full of CEOs, all right, when you get this tax break... Um, who in here is going to invest in job growth? And like three CEOs in the room raised their hand. And he was like, why isn't everyone raising their hands? And they said the first thing they're going to do is, you know, stock buybacks, which 
um, you know, boosts the value of their stock and gets them richer, yeah. right? Another thing they were going to do is focus on paying down debt, um, you know, thus making their company more profitable. Mm-hmm. And they were going to focus on mergers and acquisitions, like reinvesting in their companies, um, you know, which basically means what Trump has been uh, trying to market this to, which means, you know, more actual jobs and or uh, raising wages for current employees right, or providing more benefits. So way that's way down on the funds list. For uh, political endeavors. Right. I mean, it's, it's way down there on the list. And essentially what that is, is um, having uh, trickle down actually implemented in this tax plan. In theory, is that does that sound nice? Sure. However, it's been proven for, what, 35 fucking years that it, do, it doesn't happen, you know? Um, so... Well, for for the super wealthy, it happens. So with capital gains and uh, I mean, the, even the uh, well, you're going to be saving money because base it lowers all the tax rates for because most of the wealthiest people in this country don't earn a living the same way that working people do. They don't have a wage. They don't have right. a salary. A lot of their income comes from investments, and the tax rate on that is already incredibly low, and it's about to be even lower. And the idea being is that they have more, if, if they're allowed to keep more cash, it gets funded back into the economy. However. Mm-hmm. The economy is propped up on middle class people buying stuff. Like that's how capitalism works. You know, it's regular people who earn a a decent salary buying manufactured shit that companies just churn out. (laughs) And if, you know, rich people who keep their money, they don't buy shit. They don't go buy a Margaritaville blender. They don't go out and buy an umbrella that can also make you coffee. Right. So the form of compensation that would uh, allow people that are in the lower middle class people basically to reinvest in the economy uh, would be the subsidies provided through like Marco Rubio's part of the bill, which are basically like childcare uh, provisions. Right. Which, which I mean, it's great. Like any type of like deductions or tax credits you can get is fantastic, but that's pennies compared right. to who, who this tax bill is actually benefiting. Like it's, you know, these, the top 1% and then the top 10th of a percent uh, percentile are getting all of the benefits of this, and then to make it seem more uh, palatable to regular people, they said, oh, well, if you're a single parent, you're getting this tax credit, or we're leaving in your state and local deductions. You know what I mean? There were certain things to make you think you're getting something out of the tax plan. It was all marketing and has absolutely nothing to do with actual benefits to regular working class people. Right, um, I mean, but I mean, the words are words. It's in the bill, so we'll see what happens. Right. It, I mean, I mean that's, a, that's a media is, spin on what's what's going on. Right. I mean, the only thing to do is to wait to wait it out and see. But another story. Well, um, wait. Um, a large part of this bill, also, I mean, like that's half of the bill is uh, corporate tax. The other half, the the other valuable part of this is for uh, tax on foreign profits of U.S. multinationals. So. Uh, you're transitioning into a territorial system where we tax the U.S. operations that occur uh, outside of the U.S. So all of our trading partners use the system already. We're just doing this so the same companies would move back to the U.S. when they previously transitioned elsewhere. Right. Uh, so that's a plus. So theoretically, the investment would right. funnel back again, into the theoretically, U.S. Theoretically, right. yeah. So again, like it, it's just going to come down to waiting and seeing. Honestly, I think we'll see the effects of this within the first year. I honestly believe year to two years we'll really see exactly what this tax plan is going to be. So because of uh, the plan itself, we'll see spending cuts. So that's Yeah, that's stage two to paying right. for the tax cut is cutting the social safety net, which is something that you know budget hawks and 
uh, fiscal conservatives and right-wing nutjobs have been talking about doing for years, which absolutely has nothing to do with policy. It's just a social issue, yeah. is cutting welfare, because there's a racial component to it. So, so, yeah, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, those will all be dissolved, possibly, theoretically. Which they should be reformed. I think that they're, like, oh, they're, right, yeah, having so many different entitlements is a terrible idea. It could all be done in one thing. Well, the, well, opti- like, the optics are pretty bad. Right. Well, I mean, all of it could be compiled into uh, universal income, and there'd be one system as opposed to a bunch of different bureaucracies mm-hmm. for it, which would be an actual like progressive stance, yeah. cough, cough. Uh, Democrats that some of them could get behind, and I think that would be considerably more palatable because you're not going to be able to get rid of entitlements in this country. There are always going to be entitlements in this country. Um, it's something that all uh, modern Americans have grown accustomed to. So I think uh, modernizing it and making it into something more palatable, um, and honestly, you know, making it something that's meant for the 21st century and beyond, um, would be a good idea. Yeah. But I mean, that's going to be hard to do whenever the next decade. See, I mean, the uh, the conservative idealism or the uh, hypothetical is simply based in the amount of debt that will owe over the next decade, right. and how even within the next year, where the the deficit of paying back that debt will will catch another trillion to half a trillion. Right. So and I mean, the whole like thing a, too is that like the I mean, the easiest way to reduce the debt is to cut military spending. But well, and also, we, and you and I talked about this that. Um, Leveraging debt is not a bad thing, but no, debt's a good thing yeah. for for an economy, especially when a lot of our debt's in China and they have a pretty loose policy on, on debt. Right, exactly. So, um, but moving on, and another story, like I said, that's flown uh, largely under the radar so far, at least to my knowledge, is like the alarming rate at which the Trump administration is nominating and confirming federal judges. Um, in in an earlier episode, uh, I reported that the White House has nominated over three dozen people. To federal judgeships, which is more than any other president has done within his first year in modern history. And the unfortunate side to this is that it doesn't make a very sexy news because Senate confirmation hearings are terribly boring. And unless you get your rocks off watching C-SPAN 2, um, you're likely missing out on one of, uh, honestly, what is Trump's biggest win of his presidency. Um, and what does this mean for your everyday life? Uh, well, federal judgeships are absolutely huge. Um, they help presidents enforce laws that are beneficial to winning re-election or getting senators or congressmen elected. It helps advance legislative agendas as well as set up the next three, four, or even five decades possibly of mostly partisan lawmaking and enforcing. And if you don't believe me, you can ask Merrick Garland and Neil Gorsuch. <laughs> um, and while Trump has uh, he had a big win in planting Gorsuch on the Supreme Court, um, he's been hitting roadblocks. He's Mitch McConnell. Right. Uh, when it comes to uh, some of his recent appointees, um, one of his latest appointees' uh, confirmation processes uh, blew up um, and made its way to the magical land of Twitter, where people are starting to get a real look um, at just how inept some of these assholes are. Uh, this guy, Matthew Peterson, who was a largely administrative lawyer. <laughs> Scott who, Peterson. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Scott Peterson with a Groucho Marx mustache on. <laughs> Anyway, this guy recently, as most recently, <laughs> served as a chairman for the FEC um, and was grilled by Republican John Kennedy of Louisiana, um, who also is just JFK wearing a Grand Joe Marsh mask. Wearing an alligator hat. Yeah, yeah. So I think the, the big takeaway from that is we need to start watching C-SPAN 2. Uh, <laughs> that's, what, uh, that's what came of the JFK tapes that Trump released. Yeah, he just played them all in C-SPAN 2. And like they're like, there was... They, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald didn't act alone. Like, no one paid attention. It was on C-SPAN 2. 
Anyway, this guy essentially showed that he had zero understanding of how a courtroom operated and even less comprehension of uh, you know federal litigation procedures. And Peterson isn't the only Trump nominee lately who suffered under the confirmation process. Um, two other appointees, or nominees rather, Jeff Mateer and uh, Brett Talley, also suffered a failed confirmation because of their quote-unquote fringe views, by which I mean these dudes are absolutely fucking psychopathic. <laughs> One of them wrote... Um, on a sports blog in defense of the KKK, while the other um, said on a talk radio show that transgender kids are proof of quote unquote Satan's plan to take over the earth. I think he meant the Marshall Plan. Yeah. <laughs> but the, this is a. Why didn't anybody go back and read the Marshall Plan? The, Satan's coming. The sports blog guy was the, the Alabama football. Uh, that dude that poisoned the trees. Yeah, but he, he also wrote um, ghost stories in his free time and has, like, several... Uh, yeah, he has, like, published books. He's, yeah, like, a yeah. ghost hunter. He goes to abandoned malls and, like, looks right. for them. <laughs> He's looking for Roy Moore. Yeah, this is, this, is, yeah this, is, this is what our federal court system is turning into. And so far, half a dozen of these guys have actually been confirmed. And while these three failures are great to poke fun at here and on Twitter, we need to be vigilant in the process moving forward um, because as many of these uh, judicial nominees are chosen, they're loosely vetted by White House staff, um, aka Stephen Miller, since he's probably like just based on who these morons are, he's the only he's the only reasonable uh, suspect in like nominating them. And you can be sure that we'll get some unscrupulous characters on the bench because of it. Because it's going to come to the point where the Senate's going to be like, fuck it, we got to get somebody on the bench. So if this guy writes ghost stories, fine. Like, fuck it, we'll put him on. Bill O'Reilly wants to serve, fine. And uh, I'm going <laughs> to wrap up this segment um, with something, like I said, a little bit different for this podcast, but it dovetails a couple different aspects of my former and current lives. Um, we're going to talk about Sacagawea. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh the last several years have seen a rise in the amount of American universities uh, cracking down on the activities of Greek letter fraternities. Um, and these organizations have had a really hard time not killing pledges during initiations <laughs> via strenuous activity for no reason or alcohol poisoning or any number of shitty circumstances. Well, strenuous activity, you mean hazing. Yeah. I mean, they're getting literally hazed to death. The long list of schools include notable universities, and this is just a small list. Ohio State, Florida State, Texas State, uh, Michigan, Penn State. Um, America State. Yeah, yeah, the state of America. And a lot of this, uh, I was in a fraternity in college, and that's where I honestly think that I started drinking alcoholically. And um, I saw a lot of, uh, I mean, I loved my years in a fraternity, and uh, I had a you know great fellowship with a lot of the guys, and a lot of them I'm still friends with to this day. Um, you know, and it wasn't even necessarily in my fraternity, but of course I saw firsthand some really like you know kind of shady shit go on. And there was a fraternity on my campus that was actually suspended the year before I got there um, for like tasering their pledges in the shower. <laughs> like, and I went to a small uh, private college. And uh, that shit happened there. You know, it's not only at big schools. And Well, they all work at a jail in Cincinnati now. <laughs> yeah, basically. That's the only job they could get. That was pretty low, bro. Yeah, well, <laughs> welcome to the kind of way. But, and all this has to do with the fact that there's this culture that's deeply embedded. And it's not new. This is something that's been going on for decades. Is that there's, you know, a, a status quo, if you will, within, you know, being in a fraternity 
and an image that comes with it where you got to be, you know, partying your fucking ass off all the time. And I did. And, you know, I think <laughs> I was predisposed to, uh, you know, pre-exposed. Pre, yeah, pre-exposed to winding up an alcoholic, but it's, I wouldn't have had the outlet otherwise. I mean, you know. on a personal level, uh, I really enjoyed going to the um, frat parties at the beginning of the year. I mean, a lot of free drinks. Yeah, I mean, and that's, that, that was only a week, so maybe I should go to those again. Yeah, I mean, and, and like I said, a lot of this has to, there's like an endemic problem in this country, and you know, Rolling Stone's written like numerous uh, exposés about it. There were, uh, there was a book that I read uh, when I was in college, actually, about this guy who was an SAE, I think, at Dartmouth, and talked about like dudes puking on each other at party, like, it was obscene. On their backs? No, like, they were, like, puking. It was disgusting. Yeah, you can... A cursory Google search will will reveal it, but... A fart mouth. (laughs) And, you know, uh, we mostly talk about, you know, like, politics and, uh, you know, occasionally engage in in social commentary. And this is one of them. You know, a big problem in this country is the, the, you know, drug overdose epidemic, the uh, opioid epidemic... Academic. The the opioid epidemic... And addiction at large, and you know we gotta like look at like where does this shit start, you know? And an addict can be uh, a hedge fund manager. I've heard the saying it can happen to anyone from Yale to jail, uh, literally. And uh, you know it's we have to take a really hard look at like where this shit's happening. And it's not to say that like everyone needs to be a teetotaler and no one's drinking, no one's partying, like. There are people who have a fucking wild time in college and get out of their four years and end up being normal human beings. Yeah. I was not one of them. <laughs> but, you know, it's something that we need to take a look at um, as part of, you know, what we're doing to try to combat any type of, like, addiction epidemic. It, boils down, it kind of boils down to the university's emphasis <laughs> of uh, Greek life and their budgets. Right. I mean, think about how much money USC spends on the Greek life here. Oh yeah, one well, like how much it costs to keep up like any sort of like Greek village or right. fraternity row, whatever. And I this mean, is not to mention the uh, degree of racism uh, within. Oh yeah, because I mean it's a largely white uh, like right. sector of campus, and a lot of it too has to but do they're with even like. Segregated, yeah. And I think you're seeing like a massive shutdown in all of these organizations after like one what seemingly small incident. I mean, obviously, if you have a kid drinks himself to death on your watch, it's not small. But it can happen from a large range of issues. It can happen from like having too many wild parties and your campus gets or your fraternity gets shut down for a year or two years or whatever. You know, or I think, Joe Francis from Girls Gone Wild trying to take over your right, yeah, frat house. Right, exactly. He's trying to he's, buy it. Yeah, he's he's kicking the doors in, and a lot like universities, <laughs> like their their only move is to come in and shut it down because like you can't. The last thing a provost wants to deal with is some fucking mom coming down there and being like, "You're letting my baby do what?" Uh, so th- that's something that I just wanted to mention in this episode. Um, in situations where the uh, university invests so much money in Greek life, the people that are involved in whichever fraternity or, or sorority, those are the same people attending its uh, most highly touted school within the university. Would you say that? Yeah. So exa- for example, at USC, you have large majority of Greek life in the business school. Yeah, I mean, and you're seeing, like, a, it's a very, like, visible part of, right, yeah. like, your student population. You know, it's like the, you know, the wealthy white donors to your university, like their son is in a fraternity here, right. or their sorority, his daughter's in a sorority, and uh, you know you have to be very mindful of that when thinking about exactly who is affected by all this kind of shit. So, 
anyway, that wraps up my my domestic news. Um, and stick around after this brief little break. We're gonna have on uh, one or two, who knows, who's gonna stop by the studio of our guests uh, as we wrap things up. So stick around. Praise be to him. However, we'd like to thank everyone and the University of South Carolina for allowing us to see this project from just a conversation on our front porch to a reality. We really had to step up to the learning curve with this one quite quickly. We're still figuring it out. Finger me out. And uh, we look forward to uh, bringing you even better and more content in 2018. Woo! Part of that is more guests. Speaking of which, uh, throughout the break, we uh, thought we heard someone at our front door and we were right. Um, so now I'm going to introduce we to you- We heard the sound of a pickaxe. Yeah. <laughs> the slot machine. A pickaxe. Yeah. Uh, the slut machine himself, Dan Ascoin. Oh, well, uh, hello there, guys. My name is Dan Ascoin. Uh, not to be confused with the uh, famous actor, Dan Ascroyd. <laughs> Yeah, you guys might might not know, but uh, I'm coming out with a new form of cryptocurrency, the Ascoin. You can mine it right out of my website, uh, mine in my ass. <laughs> mine in my ass. Dot org. You can go on there right now. Everything is secure through blockchain, and uh, you know if you boys want to uh, invest your money, uh, get this cutaway thing really rolling. You invest in some Ascoin. That's the only way now. Cryptocurrency forever. Crypto, crypto. Crip, crypt, what about blood currency? Why don't we have that? I told you I wanted a Russian blood transfusion. Where's that? I don't know, you Austin. Find it. You, gotta invest you need to get it. your ass coin right, and then you can get yourself a Russian blood transfusion. All right, well, Dan, that was <laughs> Yeah, good job, Dan. Great work, yeah, Dan. Go back home. <laughs> yeah, get the fuck out. And uh, I know that I am the show's resident social Marxist. Uh, so for my fellow Groucho, comrades, Groucho yeah, <laughs> um, I'd like to just say that we can keep up the good fight here. And there are ways to make sure that the social safety net isn't dismantled. There are ways to provide social uplift. And there are ways to make sure that this new GOP, a far cry from the party of Eisenhower, doesn't totally fuck the country up. And I look forward to bringing you, our audience, uh, some more resources now, when it comes to action and not just bitching, because I think that's going to be a real important aspect um, and actually affecting change is more than just talking to ourselves. It's actually getting out there and doing <laughs> some stuff. Um, and yeah, that's I a good think, idea. I think we have another guest who just made his way into the studio, our good friend all the way from across the pond, Pierre Griere. Pierre, welcome to the pond. C'est trop cool. Je suis Pierre Griere. Ça fait longtemps depuis parler de mon cool, mais, <laughs> mais je suis prêt dedans ton cool. <laughs> je suis ton pire cauchemar. Et, et oui, euh, je vais parler de seulement mon cool et euh, le monde dans mon cool. 
For those of you who don't know, Pierre only understands and knows how to talk about the world and his ass, and his which ass. is his world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so Pierre, it's a fantastic uh, pencil-thin mustache you've got going on. <laughs> you look like a slightly less creepy version of John Waters. Big Kaiser mustache. Jesus Christ. Oh, it's not a mustache. What is it? Wow. See, is it, were you playing around with Dan again? See the, see were the, you yeah. mining for ass coins again? God damn it. This is why we can't have nice things. Uh, no more guests in the studio. J'ai pas de... J'ai pas de mierde dans uh, mon visage, mais ah. uh, j'ai beaucoup de mierde uh, dans ma voiture uh, avec ah, Dan, uh, Dan Bitcoin. <laughs> Dan, yeah, we got more guests on the way. <laughs> uh, well, everyone, have a very happy holiday season and New Year's from the Cutaway team here. Always be sure to like and follow our Facebook page. Search the Cutaway, all one all word. All one fucking word. We're going to keep saying this until you guys It might actually it. be the title of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> the Cutaway, all one, one word. One message, yeah. one God. <laughs> More than one guest. <laughs> and we are also on iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Pinecasting, wherever else you find your podcasts. Get out there. And thank you all for your continued support um, all year. We love you guys. And au revoir. We will see your fine motherfucking asses in 2018. Make that ass snap. Make it snap. Talk to me now. Make that ass snap. When I snap, talk to me now.